Numbers chapter 11. In your Bibles, Numbers chapter 11. Researchers for Gallup once measured residence interest in moving out of state by asking them this question. Regardless of whether you will move, if you had the opportunity, would you like to move to another state or would you rather remain in your current state? The researchers reported that 33%, one-third of all survey participants wanted to move to another state. At the close of the report, the Gallup people asked, what does that, or excuse me, but does that mean these unhappy residents will take the initiative to pack up and move? Probably not. The report concluded that it appears that many people would rather complain about their lot in life than actually take action to improve it. As we approach yet another Thanksgiving holiday, I want to preach to you with the Lord's help on complaining. And I'll do it under this title tonight, Gratitude or Grumbling. Gratitude or Grumbling. The longer I live and the more I interact with people, and much to my embarrassment, the more I hear myself talk, quite honestly, the more I become convinced that most people, myself included, would rather complain about their lot in life than actually take action to improve it. Now let me take just a moment to define complaining. Complaining is an attitude that expresses itself in dissatisfaction with a circumstance that I am not willing to do anything to improve. Look at it again. Complaining is an attitude that expresses itself in dissatisfaction with a circumstance that I am not willing to do anything to improve. Let's break that down. Complaining is an attitude. And I don't think I put this on the screen, but attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. You see, all of us have ways of thinking about things, ways of approaching life, And these patterns have have formed over the course of years. That's why wrong attitudes are hard to change. 
They are habitual, harmful ways of thinking about life and circumstances. Sadly, these patterns of thinking can get so ingrained in our hearts that we hardly even notice them. Others notice them, but we don't. And because we're so automatic in our reactions, we convince ourselves that we're trapped. This is just the way I am. This is just who I am. This is the way I've always been. And there's just no hope. But listen to me tonight. There is hope. Let me say that again. There is hope. Because just as we chose, and yes, we do choose our attitudes. And just as we chose a bad attitude, we can choose a good one. How many times have you said that to your kids? Well, guess what, mom and dad? It's true for us too. Just as we chose a bad attitude, we can choose a good one. We'll talk more about that later. So complaining is an attitude. And it expresses itself in dissatisfaction with a circumstance that I am not willing to do anything to improve. And we've all done it. Can I get a witness right there? We've all done it. We have all griped about the state of affairs somewhere, whether it's at home or at work or at church or at school or with the government or whatever. And we've all griped about how bad it is, but have done nothing to make it better. People who express dissatisfaction with elected officials but don't vote are complaining. Expressing dissatisfaction with a supervisor or a teacher or a coach or a principal or a pastor without talking to any of them is complaining. Well, I don't want to talk to them because it won't do any good. Okay. Then answer me this. What good does it do to gripe about it on social media? Who's going to help you there? When's the last time that did any good? Or to someone who can't do anything about it? Maybe somebody's been honest enough and looked at you and said, Dude, you're talking to the wrong guy. I can't do anything about it. And at that point, all we're doing is complaining. We are displaying an attitude that expresses itself in dissatisfaction with a circumstance that I'm not willing to do anything to improve. And so I go to somebody else who can't do anything 
to improve it. It has been my observation, both personally while in leadership, and as I travel and and talk with other leaders all over the nation, that one of the greatest catalysts for complaining as far as church work and ministry is concerned is change. Mark Twain had it right when he said the only person who likes change is a baby with a wet diaper. (laughs) On a number of occasions, my travels have allowed me the opportunity to preach in some very exciting and, and growing ministries. And I love doing that. But almost without fail, at some point in, in my visit, the pastor and I end up discussing the challenges that come with growth. And the most common challenge is dealing with disgruntled people who struggle to accept the reality that with growth comes change. I mean, you parents that got boys growing up, you understand that. You just bought those that pair of pants yesterday. And already they're up to there. You know what I'm talking about? Growth equals change. Growth brings with it the joys and the, the exhilaration of, of accomplishment. But it also brings with it a great number of challenges. And I personally thought Pastor Tyler did a a great job of addressing that a few weeks ago. And I believe it was on Sunday morning when he preached through the first part of the book of Acts. Where the church was growing and there was grumbling and complaining because the Grecian widows weren't being uh, cared for and taken care of. And so they... Uh, they they developed a plan and all of that, and I'll not re-preach that message. But church, understand this tonight. Growth necessitates change. Sometimes it's change in practices. What, what a church could do when they were running 200, they can't do that anymore at 300. They've got to change. They've got to do things differently. Change in, in policies. I remember when, I remember when we decided that we were going to have all children's workers go through a background check. That didn't, that didn't go over well with everybody. But we were growing and, and our culture was changing and there was a need for that. And so we had a change in policy. And those things have to happen as a ministry grows. Yes, there's the excitement and there's the exhilaration of ministry success. But there's also other challenges, change in procedures. I remember when when we made parents start checking their children in the nursery. 
Now it's just, it's just what we do. But when we first started doing that, that was a difficult change. But we were getting so many babies, it's easy to lose track. Listen, you could have ended up with the wrong kid. What's worse, somebody could have ended up with yours. Sometimes there's change in, 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 in practice, sometimes in policy, sometimes in procedures. Sometimes there, there are changes in people. And unless you've been in, leadership, in, in a leadership position, you really can't appreciate the difficulty of navigating change. Because no matter how hard you try, you cannot make everybody happy. And so the, the best that you can hope for is that those who are unhappy will act spiritually and maturely and give change a chance. And this is just my own personal opinion publicly addressed, but expressed. But listen, if, if we're going to go to somebody with a, with a complaint, then we also need to go with a suggestion as to how we might make this better. Amen. That's really not in my message. I'm just, this is free. <laughs> Maybe this is why I don't get to preach at home very much. Pastor has to come home and clean everything up. But I'm just telling you, that's something to consider. All right, let's get to Numbers 11 and all God's people said. <laughs> that was way too loud and way too quick and way too inclusive. We're just going to read one verse tonight. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1 to start with. And when the people, what's that word, church? complained, it what? It displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Let me share some thoughts with you about the sin of Complaining. First of all, like all sin, complaining affects our spiritual life. Write this down. Those who choose complaining as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. Those who choose complaining as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. Now, when we think of wilderness, Brother Troy, I would just had the privilege of being in Oregon. That's some wilderness. That's some beautiful, beautiful wilderness. Just incredibly beautiful wilderness. North Carolina, I was just in North Carolina last weekend. Beautiful, beautiful trees. The leaves are turning. It was awesome. So when we think of wilderness, that's what we think of. But when the Bible speaks of wilderness, that's what it's talking about. 
Those who choose complaining as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. It was a desert. The children of Israel spent 40 miserable years wandering around the the desolate, dry, barren wilderness. And that's exactly where chronic complainers live spiritually. That's what their life looks like. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and and verse 10 that he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. But Christians who choose complaining as their lifestyle know nothing of that kind of life. The life they they know is desolate and dry and barren and hard and without joy. If you've been around a chronic complainer, I'm talking about someone who has chosen complaining as a lifestyle, then you know I'm right. They are miserable, and all they can do is complain about it. Complaining affects our spiritual life. Number two, complaining satisfies our sinful natures. Have you ever wondered... Why complaining is such a battle when we know full well that it seldom changes anything? I'll tell you why. It's because it satisfies our sinful natures. Complaining releases negative emotional energy in a way that produces momentary relief from a situation or circumstance that may be frustrating to us. Brother Prater, what did you just say? Here's what I said. Complaining makes us feel good. Come on. Complaining makes us feel good. At least momentarily. We're frustrated, it's all pent up, and we're aggravated, and we don't like that new policy at work, or we don't like our new supervisor, or we don't like this, we don't like that, and and, and all of this gets pent up, and so what do we do? We just, we just have a good gripe session. I've been there, I've done that, and it does, it makes us feel good to just get it all off our chest. Complaining satisfies our sinful natures. Number three, you say, man, you're moving right along. Yeah, but we got 27, so (laughs) I've got to hurry. Number three, complaining hurts us and others. In case you find it hard to believe that God thinks complaining is really that big a deal, Let's read the last part of verse 1 again. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. 
God thought complaining was so serious that he decided to turn a number of them into ashes. Now, please do not dismiss this as a mere Old Testament event that has no relevance to us today. Because to do so would be a terrible mistake on our part. And here's why I say that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, Now all things happen unto them for in samples. Talking about folks in the Old Testament. The things that happen to them happen to them as examples. And they are written... The reason stories like this are recorded is for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. When when Paul used the word all things, he's talking about this incident and others like it that are covered in the the book of Numbers, uh, in the book of Exodus, and and so many other places in, in, in the Bible. Paul said they are written for our admonition. That word means warning. So be warned tonight, church. Complaining is an adi- as an attitude will be judged by God. Now I'm guessing no one's going to be turned into ashes. But complaining will be judged by God because complaining is sin. Now, nah, Brother Prater, wait a minute. I'm getting a little carried away there. A sin? Really? I mean, I, I admit it's not a great thing. But a sin? I mean, come on, man. Stealing, that's a sin. Brother David's been preaching on the Ten Commandments. Stealing, that's a sin. Bearing false witness, that's a sin. Committing adultery, that's a sin. Coveting, that's a sin. Blaspheming is a sin. But we're talking about complaining. I mean, seriously, who am I hurting when I complain? That's a great question. So let's, let's try and answer it. Number one, you're hurting God. Think with me. When you complain, when I complain, in reality, we're questioning God's sovereignty. Or, or God's dealings in our life. To complain is to say, in effect, God, you blew it. I mean, you had the perfect opportunity to meet my expectations and you couldn't handle it. Nice try. Close, but not close enough. Well, Bridge, I'd never say that to God. We do when we complain. What we're saying is, God, you don't have a clue what you're doing. You've lost control. Are you even aware of what's going on in my life right now? Do you even know who I have to work with? Yeah, he does. And he chose to put you there for a purpose. We all find ourselves in situations on purpose. This this story here in, in the book of Numbers about the children of Israel, this was a faith test. 
This was an opportunity for them to trust God more, to believe God better. And so many times God puts us in difficult situations so we can learn to trust him more. So we can learn to believe him better. So we can learn to obey him more completely. Are you with me tonight, church? And, And to say, to complain, again, it hurts God because in essence we're complaining, God, about our lot in life. God, you messed up. How many of you believe those kinds of accusations hurt the heart of God? Absolutely. Secondly, you hurt yourself. Not only are you robbing yourself of joy, but your complaining could quite easily lead to anger or bitterness or even depression if it hasn't already. Thirdly, when you complain, you hurt those around you. Others are adversely affected by your stinking thinking. Listen, nobody likes a negatron. It's amazing, but complainers have a way of sucking the life right out of you. You ever gone into work and man, you're feeling good and you get around this negatron and they just, they just take off and by 930 you're like, man, what a bummer. Not even sure why I got out of bed this morning. You know what I'm talking about? When they just suck the life right out of you. And check this out. Neuroscientists say that it's best not to listen to complainers because it's bad on your brain. They have studied and evaluated how the brain behaves when subjected to negative stimuli, typically characterized by a long complaining session. Neuroscientists can measure the impact of such stimuli on the brain functioning. Exposure to 30 minutes or more of negativity, either with your friends, customers, colleagues, business partners, boss, or through TV, can actually peel away neurons from the hippocampus region of the brain, which assist in decision making, thereby, in a way, rotting your brain. So when you go into work tomorrow and he starts, you put a timer on. 29 minutes, yep, you're done, bud. Danger zone. Can't go there. He's going to say, what are you talking about? Say, because you're going to rot my brain. And then you, you tell, I put this on, you take him to Facebook and say, hey, here's what the neuroscientists say. You're bad for me. You are just bad for my brain. Now we know who to blame, Right? Complaining is a sin that not only harms us, but those around us and him who is above us. Number four, if you're taking notes, complaining angers God. 
Let's continue here in the, the book of Numbers chapter 11 verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Now watch this. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. In Egypt, okay, time out. In Egypt, where we were slaves, where we were treated like trash, where we were beaten, and where we had to build bricks and build all this stuff. And yeah, we, we, re, we remember, we remember what we had back there in Egypt. The cucumbers, that's not bad. Melons, that's even better. But then we get into leeks and onions and garlic. But now our soul is dried away. Sounds like your kids, I'm starving. I'm going to die. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was a coriander seed, and the color thereof is the color of delium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of, uh, of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. Now, was God angry because the people were weeping? No. He was angry because of what they were weeping about. They were longing for things that God was not willing to give them. And they had complained so long that they had lost perspective. They thought it was better in Egypt. And they had an emotional meltdown. It's amazing the insights... That we can gain into how our actions affect God by looking at the way our children's actions affect us. Imagine with me that you and your spouse have gone out for the evening. You left your oldest To watch out for the younger ones. When you get home, all the lights are out. Nobody's up walking around. And so you just assume that everyone's gone to bed. And so you begin checking the bedrooms and there's nobody there. You can't find them anywhere. And then you hear this faint sound 
coming from the basement. And so you open the basement door quietly and begin making your way down the stairs. And as you get closer to the bottom of the stairs, that sound gets louder and louder. And you discover that your kids are sitting in a circle on the floor in the laundry room. They are obviously so engrossed in their conversation that they don't even hear you coming down the stairs. I mean, they are really into this. And of course, you're relieved that they're all there and and everybody seems to be okay. But you're curious as to what they're talking about. And so you just stand at the bottom of the stairs and you listen. And you hear one of them say, man, I wish dad had a better job so he could take care of us like the Smiths take care of their kids. I I wish we could have. And about that time, another child speaks up. I am so sick of mom's rules. Do this. Pick up that. Don't watch this. Don't listen to that. I'm not going to take her orders anymore. And you stand there listening as this complaining goes on. Now, as a parent myself, I'm going to guess that my reaction would not have been much different than most parents. First of all, I would have been hurt. And after about 10 seconds of being hurt, I would have been hopped up, fired up, mad. And I'd be thinking to myself, you stinking little ingrates. Your mom and I work ourselves nearly to death to provide for you. And all you can do is sit there and complain. Take that out of the context of imperfect parents. And think about complaining and how it affects a perfect heavenly father who makes zero mistakes. He's never made one. Not in your life or in mine. Is it any wonder that he gets righteously indignant with us? God hears our complaining. And he hates it. I mean, honestly, it's a slap in his face. It's an insult to his grace. And he gets angry. Now, thankfully, the fire of God's anger doesn't consume our existence. But I'll tell you what it does do. It scorches our happiness. God's fire consumes all that is fresh and healthy and life-giving in our lives. And life becomes a wilderness. Because those who choose complaining as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. 
One final thing that complaining does. This is a big one. Complaining harms the cause of Christ. Church, listen, sit up straight. Listen, listen. Joyless Christians reflect poorly on God and Christianity and pose a real challenge to the faith. If their faith is so impressive, why aren't they joyful? There are only two possible reasons. Either they are not practicing their faith correctly, or they are practicing their faith correctly, and Christianity itself is not conducive to joy. And which one of those two do you think lost people will assume? The latter. Joyless Christians should therefore think about how important being joyful is. If not for themselves, then for the sake of Christianity as a whole. Joyless, let alone angry, negative Christians, listen to me now, provide more persuasive arguments for atheism and secularism than do all the arguments of atheist and secularist put together. Read you translate that. You are a terrible testimony when you complain. Let me rephrase that. We are a terrible testimony when we complain. Oh man, you need to come to our church. It's awesome. Really. All you do is complain, gripe, murmur. Why would I want to do that? I mean, think about this. Who wants a Jesus who makes life so miserable? Amen. So what can we do about complaining? Jeff Mannion offers this in his book, The Land Between. It's kind of lengthy, but I hope you'll follow along. The heart drifts toward complaint as if by gravitational pull. After all, complaint seems a reasonable response to a sequence of disappointing events. Generally, you don't have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up. It arrives as an uninvited guest. You return home from yet another frustrating day to discover the complaint has moved into your guest room, unpacked its luggage, started a load of laundry as it's rooting through your fridge. Even as you seek to dislodge complain, as you move its bags to the curb and change the locks, it crawls back through the guest room window. Complaint resists eviction. Before we know it, complaint feels right because it's familiar. With every struggle, we become the Israelites murmuring in the desert. We miss the faith lessons. God desires to prepare us and build things into us, but we are hunkered down in our pattern of response. We need to wake up and notice what is happening. How do we evict that spirit of complaint? 
He goes on to say, I've heard it said that bad movement pushes out good movement and good movement pushes out bad movement. We can discourage complaints residency in our lives by inviting another guest to move in with us. That new guest is gratitude. When we choose gratitude, even in the face of deep disappointment, complaint has less space to maneuver. While attempting to unpack for an extended stay, it discovers that gratitude has taken all the drawers in the guest room and already occupies the empty seat at the table. Gratitude evicts complaint. Did you get that? Gratitude evicts complaint. Gratitude and complaint are incompatible roommates. One inevitably pushes the other out. Amen. So here's my challenge to you for this Thanksgiving season and beyond. You ready? Here it is. Give complaining the boot. And invite gratitude to move in. It'll make a difference. Now as we close, how would you answer these three questions as we prepare for the invitation? How would you answer these three questions? Number one, am I a thankful person? Number two, am I seeing the blessings of thankfulness in my life? Do I know the joy that comes with gratitude? Or is my life like a wilderness? And then number three, am I choosing thankfulness over complaining? Moment by moment. Remember, attitudes are patterns of thinking formed over a long period of time. But those long periods of time accumulate by moment, moment by moment, choice by choice. So as we stand to our feet tonight, here's what I want to challenge you to do during the invitation. Let's go ahead and stand. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Number one, I want to challenge you to confess and ask forgiveness for the sin of complaining. Every one of us at some point this week have been guilty of the sin of complaining. And so I want to challenge you tonight to confess and ask forgiveness for the sin of complaining. And then... Before you go back to your seat, see what I did there. There's an expectation tonight of you being at the altar. Because we've all committed the sin of complaining. And we all, all need to confess that.
and ask God's forgiveness. There's plenty of room down here. If not, there's front rows. Hey, let's not become a church that doesn't come to the altar. I see that a lot. And those churches are not healthy. They're dying. Let's not be a church like that. So as we come, we're going to confess, God, I'm I'm sorry about complaining this week. Would you please forgive me? And then number two, before you go back to your seat, I want you to thank God for five things. All of us can do that. Confess, ask for forgiveness, and then I want to challenge you before you get up from your knees, before you go back to your seat tonight, I want you to thank God for five things. Can we do that?